On Tuesday, a familiar face showed up to the U.S. Capitol. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Walden. Thank you all for the, giving me the opportunity to discuss with you today the role of the National Institutes of Health and Research addressing COVID-19. It was, of course, America's favorite uncle and the country's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, offering the country a status update on the COVID-19 pandemic. Bottom line, Mr. Chairman, it's a mixed bag. Some good and some now we have a problem with. So yes, in the U.S., there has been some good COVID-19 news. For example, over the weekend, the country finally started testing around 500,000 people a day, a threshold some experts said was the minimum the country needed to hit in order to start reopening. Former hotspots like New York City have also seen drops in new cases. However, in other areas of the country, we're now seeing a disturbing surge of infections. Now, states in the South and West, including Texas and California and Arizona, are seeing a record number of new cases per day. In fact, more than half the states in the country are seeing a rise in cases. Early on, some argued that this is because, hey, we're simply testing more people now. But experts say it's also because people are heading out more. Businesses, including restaurants and bars, are reopening. Places of worship are welcoming people back in. And all the new public health etiquette we've been taught these last few months is less and less in touch with reality. It's led to a renewed fight over something that experts have pointed to for a while now, as something that could stop the spread. To mask or not to mask? State medical professionals say the answer is pretty simple. What do you see when you look at that bar? Obviously, they're definitely not social distancing and not wearing masks. Yeah, the governor put out a statement today basically saying that he's seeing too many people not wearing masks in places he thinks they should be. So today we're going to get into where science currently stands on masks and why there's no consensus among public officials over whether or not we should all be wearing them. That's coming up after the break. Today's episode is brought to you by Cambria Hotels. Cambria offers the little indulgences that make a big difference when you're traveling. Okay, so first, we gotta recap how this fight over masks started. Remember as the U.S. started shutting down over the pandemic? We were all told to wash our hands for at least 20 seconds and to socially distance. But wearing a mask wasn't part of the protocol. That was in part because of concerns that health workers and essential workers wouldn't have enough medical masks to go around. But as it became clear that the disease could spread even from people who didn't have symptoms, the government's health advice over masks changed, which is how we ended up with this handy-dandy how-to guide hosted by the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams, in early April. Here's how you can make your own face covering in a few easy steps. Even then, though, this was framed as a recommendation to be used when social distancing wasn't possible which is a very good example of how the federal government has gone about messaging this, leaving it up to local governments, businesses, and individuals to decide the extent to which they should help stop the spread. This has led to a patchwork of regulations across the country, including specifically on face coverings. Dr. Jade Pegas Bather is an infectious disease attending physician and clinical epidemiologist. She's also an instructor of medicine at the University of Chicago Department of Medicine. 
It's really difficult to mandate that every single state do things all at the same time. And obviously they have different sort of philosophies and ethos surrounding coronavirus. But I do think that universal mask wearing is probably the safest thing for people because as we know, you know, wearing a mask is really about protecting the people that you encounter. So if everyone is wearing a mask, then we have sort of more global protection. And since the pandemic began, the science of how effective masks are has only gotten stronger. Researchers are now even comparing how effective masks made up t-shirts are to medical grade material. The consensus so far is even a piece of cloth is somewhat effective at preventing the wearer of a mask from spreading droplets. And that wearing a mask in combination with things like social distancing and hand washing can help communities stop the spread. Masks help to kind of curb the spread of your own respiratory droplets into the air. I'm not saying it's 100% protection, even if you're wearing an N95 mask, which you probably shouldn't be wearing necessarily in public because we do need those in hospital settings. But a, a surgical mask, a cloth mask, even a bandana, um, some sort of covering over your nose and mouth, that's like localizing your respiratory secretions and preventing a lot of like droplet spread into the atmosphere. Um, so that's sort of the logic behind wearing a mask. And then when we wear masks, we are keeping our, our spit to ourselves. Um, and that is beneficial for not spreading it to others. And we're seeing some real life examples of that. Recently, two hairdressers in Springfield, Missouri tested positive for COVID-19. Officials found that even though they had come in contact with six other staff and 140 clients, none of those other people got COVID-19. Health officials are still looking into the details, but for now, they're saying it's likely because of the masks. But not all businesses are feeling pressure to require masks, particularly as they start to reopen and try to recover. And not everyone feels required to wear them. Check out this report from KNWA News in Arkansas. Heads up, it's a little hard to hear. Our staff just politely said, you know, masks are required here, like, and gave her a mask. Um, she put it on and then proceeded to throw it at our employees, um, yell profanities, um, hit a window. Some local governments, meanwhile, have been at odds with state leaders over the extent to which authorities can enforce mask wearing. We told you last week about the governor of Texas and governor of Arizona preventing local officials from putting these mandates into effect. Since then, Texas and Arizona have both clocked major upticks in cases. Health providers in Arizona are having a hard time getting people tested, and hospitals in both states are getting inundated with new patients. And now both governors have walked back the policies that made it harder to require masks or at least in Texas's case, clarified that local officials can enforce businesses to require them. And on Tuesday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott took it one step further. In an interview with KBTX, he urged Texans to just stay home. Because the spread is, is so rampant right now, there's never a reason for you to have to leave your home unless you do need to go out. The safest place for you is at your home. Meanwhile, Florida's Surgeon General advised residents to wear masks in public if social distancing isn't possible. And local officials are taking it seriously. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez said this week he's requiring masks and that anyone not wearing one could be fined. 
But in other places, the fight hasn't ended. Last week, California's governor announced a statewide order to wear masks. Anyone who doesn't comply could be charged with a misdemeanor or pay a fine. But at least five local sheriff's departments say they either can't or won't enforce it. That masks are a personal responsibility, not the job of law enforcement to keep track of. On the federal level, the CDC is reportedly expected to update its guidance on masks after researching their effectiveness. That change could influence states and local officials to update their guidance, too. But like we said, there's no nationwide mask mandate, just recommendations. And in the meantime, people are getting creative. In Las Vegas, some casinos are actually giving away 20 bucks to gamblers wearing masks, which means wearing a mask could pay off in more ways than one. So what's the skin? For the most part, experts are in agreement that properly worn masks, even handmade ones, can help stop the spread of COVID-19. And in some states, including this week, Washington state, governors are now requiring residents to wear them in public. But remember, there is no nationwide mask requirement. Instead, the CDC recommends wearing them in public where social distancing isn't possible. Meanwhile, some states and local officials are at odds over whether and how to make sure people are wearing them. And that fight over whether to require masks or just hope that people take personal responsibility to wear them is getting intense, especially in places where the number of cases is rising. In fact, this week, the U.S. hit the record for the highest number of new infections in a single day, beating the previous record set at the end of April. From a public health perspective, Dr. Pagis Bather echoes the importance of wearing masks. If you're going to be in a densely populated area, you're going to be around other people. If you're visiting your grandparents, you should really wear a mask. And I think we also have to be really, really careful about hand washing as well. And she points out that masks are just part of helping to stop the spread. Think really hard about the importance of of going out. If your state is one of those states that are um, reopening, I would probably discourage, and this is not like fun, this is not what, I'm a millennial too, that's not what I want to hear necessarily, Um, but for like the good of yourself and your community, if you could limit non-essential gatherings, it's probably in your best interest. It's not fun. This is not going to be like a hot girl summer 2020. It's going to be a masked girl summer, so... I think we have to just be cognizant of that, that this is not going to be something that we're going to be um, experiencing for eternity. I, I don't believe that to be the case anyway, but to sort of keep it in perspective that you want to maintain your health um, to the best of your ability. And if you can avoid doing things that are social or involve really close-knit gatherings, then that's probably in your best interest. Coming up, the Supreme Court made a surprise call this Pride Month, but there's still more work to be done in the fight for LGBTQ plus rights. That's after the break. We all miss traveling. And if you're like us, you're probably dreaming about your next trip. When you're able to travel safely, we recommend Cambria Hotels. Their locally inspired art and decor brings the best of the city you're visiting to you. Plus, they have great outdoor pools and rooftop spaces. Dreamy. Register and complete two separate stays by September 7th, 
and you'll earn a future-free night at any Cambria hotel. Book now at choicehotels.com slash Cambria. That's choicehotels.com slash C-A-M-B-R-I-A. As I read those first few words, my heart stopped. I, I really think I went into a moment of shock. That's Gerald Bostock. Last week, he got some good news from the highest court in the country, which he waited seven years for. Back then, Bostock started playing in a gay softball league. After he started playing ball, he was fired from his job and was left without health insurance as he recovered from cancer. Bostock believes he was fired because of his sexual orientation, and his story, along with two other related cases, made it all the way to the Supreme Court. Good morning. We have breaking news from the Supreme Court. It is a landmark decision for the LGBTQ community. The Supreme Court has ruled that federal law prohibits discrimination in the workplace on the basis of sexual orientation. Last week, the Supremes ruled in the case of Bostock v. Clayton County. Basically, the Supremes decided that federal law protects gay and transgender people from discrimination at work meaning it's illegal for employers to discriminate against someone because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. One important thing to know about this case is that it all came down to language. Three words, to be exact. Back in 1964, some major legislation was passed called the Civil Rights Act. Under one of its statutes called Title VII, employers are prohibited from discriminating based on race, religion, color, national origin, and sex. 56 years later, the words, because of sex, were central to this case. The Supremes, in their 6-3 decision, ruled that that language in the law also covers sexual orientation and gender identity. And that 6-3 majority came as a surprise to a lot of people. That's because the court is made up of five conservative justices, compared to four liberal ones. But in this case, two conservative justices, Justice Neil Gorsuch and Chief Justice John Roberts, voted with the liberal justices. In fact, Gorsuch, who was President Trump's first nominee to the court, wrote the majority opinion. And the president himself acknowledged the magnitude of the ruling. Uh, They've ruled and we live with their decision. That's what it's all about. We live with the decision of the Supreme Court. Very powerful, a very powerful decision, actually. Uh, But... uh, They have so ruled. So what's the impact? It's pretty far-reaching. Legal scholars say this case is one of the most significant gay rights legal decisions ever. That's because it directly impacts more than 8 million LGBTQ plus workers in the United States, giving them protection under federal law from discrimination. Before this ruling, over half of U.S. states didn't have laws that protect LGBTQ plus employees at work. It's also the first Supreme Court decision that addresses the transgender community. Remember, Bostock was one of three plaintiffs in this case. Donald Zarda and Amy Stevens were the others. Zarda claimed he too was fired because he was gay. Stevens, a trans woman, was fired from her job after coming forward to her coworkers about her gender identity. Unfortunately, both Zarda and Stevens passed away and did not get to see this ruling. But their cases still made history. We should note, this case doesn't settle the question of whether employers cannot hire LGBTQ plus people on religious grounds, since the employers in this case weren't arguing in favor of religious liberty. So that's a question that may end up being settled in a future case. 
So while last week's decision was historic, activists and some politicians say there's still more work to be done. Specifically, they're talking about the Equality Act, a piece of legislation that would amend the Civil Rights Act we mentioned earlier to call out gender identity and sexual orientation as protected classes. This legislation would take the SCOTUS ruling a step further, going beyond the workplace and into housing, education, and public facilities. The Equality Act passed in the House last year, but it never went to the Senate floor. And now, at least 48 senators are calling for the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, to hold a vote. And in the larger context, this Supreme Court victory for LGBTQ rights follows some tragic news from earlier this month after two black trans women, Raya Milton and Dominique Remy Fells, were killed. Their deaths came as tens of thousands of people were demonstrating in the streets in support of black trans rights, but also to protest how governments have fallen short in protecting the LGBTQ community. So this Pride Month, while the LGBTQ community has a reason to celebrate, there's still a lot more work to do. And that's all for Skim This. We'll be back in your feed again next Friday. In the meantime, let us know what questions you have about what's going on in the news right now. You can email us at audio at or call and leave us a voicemail at 646-461-6370. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com.